Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 255 and it's proudly brought to you by our ever-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support. And if you'd like to support the show and aren't already, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. James, here we are again. We uh, just parted ways, uh, it seems like a few hours ago. Yeah, it does. It does. It was uh, It was a longer than that. It was, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it was an interesting trip. Uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit yeah. on the previous episode that you and I were heading to Cannes, France for the Act 3 announcement of the uh, the new um, 50 Fathoms from Blancpain. Yeah. And yeah, it was uh, the the event worked out nicely. Got to see the watch and the rest of it, and we'll certainly chit chat a bunch about that. But there was it was a, a complete boondoggle uh, getting there, and to a certain extent, getting home <laughs> for me. So <laughs> sometimes that's how it goes. You know, you travel enough, you're gonna eventually get some get some run of bad luck. But I, I feel uh feel like I, I might be a little bit cursed. I think I'm three three trips in a row with pretty major kind of setbacks or complications. Yeah. So hopefully, um, I I, I of course will be flying in about a week's time. And uh, we'll see if that uh, <laughs> if the curse continues. But uh, how, how have you been since you got back from France? I mean, good. I you know I had a very different experience than you, and we'll we'll get into that in a bit. But this is this was my kind of third third trip in a row, like over the past month, and I'm 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 feeling kind of a little bit fried. You know, I mean they've they've all been good good experiences and good trips, but um, it's it's just been a bit much. Especially uh, you know as we've talked about in the past, I, I feel like I'm still coming out of you know, post COVID sort of isolation times and, and to kind of jump in the deep end this year with, with just what's turned out to be a lot of travel, at least for me, um, has been, uh, has been a, a bit trying, although not, not altogether bad experiences, certainly, but it's, it is good to be home. And, and here we are at the end of September, which, which just seems absolutely crazy to me. Yeah. But, I agree uh, on that part. Yeah. Just trying to get a few things done. I cleaned the chimney yesterday. I've got, you know, looks like some, uh, end of season yard work to do and, and just stuff to do before the snow flies. So got to, got to make hay while the sun is shining, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't really want to think about the snow thing just yet. <laughs> Staring, you know, we obviously record these on Tuesday, so we're a few days away from the end of this week, but after working, you know, the past couple of weekends straight through, um, I, uh, definitely looking forward to a weekend, but we're looking forward to what looks like at, the, at least right now, the weather's going to be ideal for, just a nice fall weekend at the cottage. We always, we kind of change modes when it, when the fall comes in. You spend less time down at the beach, and we've enjoyed the last couple of years, like kind of going for drives in the area, stopping, taking pictures. Obviously, with the leaves mm-hmm. changing, there's there's some pretty lovely scenery, and there's a couple of like really nice sort of relaxed restaurants, breweries, that sort of thing in the area. Um, oh, nice. Shout out Boshkung Brewery, uh, uh, which is a you know about an hour from my cottage, but it's a really beautiful drive, and there's spots to stop along the way if you want to take you know pictures of marshes and trees and birds and that sort of thing so uh <laughs> yeah. looking forward to that kind of thing but yeah i, I got back from uh france uh, sunday evening caught up on f1 it was the japan grand prix which is great uh, and then i haven't really done done much else it's tuesday so it's been a day i tried to have a slow day yesterday it didn't quite work out did a little bit of organizing in the garage that sort of stuff it, it is it does feel like that time of year where you go like I got to get a few things done before it's too cold to bother doing them. Um, <laughs> you know, fall is a beautiful time, uh, certainly in our part of the world, but uh, not one that lasts all that long. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am feeling a bit of that. Uh, for some reason, I don't get a, a necessarily a spring cleaning vibe, but I tend to get that in the fall. I don't know if it's because suddenly it's like you're spending more time inside and you're realizing how cluttered life has be- become. And um, part of that was uh, um, I just felt the need to kind of, 
sell off a bunch of watches that I wasn't wearing. And so uh, actually this morning, I, I don't, I'm not sure it was exactly jet lag because I don't think we were in France all that long, but uh, I was up pretty early today and I just, I, I kind of sorted through and I found six watches to sell and I put them up on the Slack sales channel and I realized I, I'm maybe abusing my position here by, uh, by promoting it on the show. Um, but hey, I'll, I'll take that. And I've already sold three as of this morning. So I'm, hey, I'm, it feels nice. really good to, that is great. It feels really good to kind of part ways with a few pieces and, and they're going to good homes and I know that people will enjoy them and, and that's all good. So, and, uh, you know, some people have been speculating that I've got a, a, a bit of a, an incoming piece coming that, that might seem fairly predictable given, given, uh, what we talked about last week and <laughs> I'm not going to give anything away. I'll talk about it next week. Um, but yes, there is a, there is a new watch coming in. Um, and it's probably not, great. not a huge secret what it is, but Yeah. Yeah, we we talked about this a little bit on the trip about about possibly doing a little bit of a fall sell off. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm kind of in the same mode, uh, especially now that I've done you know essentially two tax cycles in the world in which you have to claim whatever goes through your um, PayPal. And for the uh, you know above board uh, accountants in the audience, I know that you are always supposed to claim that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I might do the same sometime this fall or winter. Um, I have several here that I'm simply not wearing that I think folks would yeah. like. But yeah, I, I, we'll see. Uh, I could see it coming along, but uh, six isn't bad. That makes a, a dent, I guess. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, and it's it, it it is a much more pleasant selling experience doing it through our our Slack community than yeah, it's really anywhere chill. else. And I I really would have hesitated to 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 take this on if I was you know going back to the forums or something. It's just not not very pleasant to kind of deal with the, the back and forth. And so yeah, this has been easy so far. And uh, you know, we'll see if, if the three others remain by the time this episode goes up. But uh, I'm patient. It's fine. It's, yeah, and who knows? You may, may be able to find good. three more in the future. Always worth at least keeping an eye on the uh, on the sales forum. I like to check it at the end of the day just in case something pops up. Who knows? Yeah. I'm definitely not in a buying mode, but I've bought watches um, in the, from this perspective before. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of watches, uh, what, what have you got on wrist this week? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess after wearing my 50 Fathoms for the better part of a week, uh, you know, since I think we even recorded last week and then going to, to France um, with, with the brand, um, I kind of have a little palate cleanser on today. I've got a very small watch on today. This is the the 36 millimeter uh, Benrus Ultra Deep. Um, you know, we talked about that last week. My my review had mm-hmm. gone up on Worn and Wound, and the and the watch finally launched or was released for sale. Um, and and when I came home, I guess last night, I um, decided to pop it on. I've got it on. It's you know, it takes a little 18 millimeter NATO. It it weighs nothing. Um, just it's it's a it's a lovely little piece on my wrist, and I'm I'm just enjoying enjoying wearing it so yeah that's what i've got on and uh how about you uh yeah so this week i'm wearing the jlc polaris chronograph it's the oh, new model wow. that came out earlier this year um I, uh, I i got this in on loan they sent me an email out of the blue and said like hey would you have any interest in checking this out and it, you know usually with watches of this price point um i don't i don't push for loans uh, getting them across the border can be a complete nightmare for yeah. oh. the brand for me for people who don't want to deal with, you know, import and export, you know, duties and the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, but they offered and I said, hey, if you can, if you're comfortable getting one to Toronto easily, uh, let me know. I would love to check one out. I haven't seen a Polaris in a few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I kind of dug the design of this. It's the blue dial chronograph. It's $14,800. So, you know, it's a it's a JLC chronograph. It's a pretty premium sort of yeah. thing. Uh, it carries a lot of the, the standard sort of Polaris design language. Uh, it's a 42 millimeter steel case with a blue to black sort of gradient kind of double stack dial. 
It's a two register chronograph. So you get a 30 minute total like maximum measure. It's about 13.3, 13.4 millimeters thick, 100 meters water resistant, comes on a nice um, steel bracelet. And then the clasp has double micro extensions. Oh, yeah. So they kind of work like dive extensions. Yeah. Um, but they're much smaller than that. So you can actually just add a millimeter and a half uh, roughly uh, pretty easily, uh, which is kind of clever. And, and it fits into a double fold over uh, sort of uh, signed clasp. Nice. Uh, just a really handsome, nice wear and watch. Uh, it's got quick release on the bracelet, so you can put it right on a rubber strap if you want. So it came with a, a blue rubber strap as well. Uh, so I'll, I'll have a hands-on, you know, as you'd expect for Hodinkee pretty soon. But that's what I've been kind of wearing around, a complete palette cleanser from what I've been kind of into lately, just kind of stoic, simple dive watches. Yeah. And uh, and then this, you know, the the 50 Fathoms, which we'll talk about, got to see that for a minute or two. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, I'm not traveling. So, you know, when I went to, um, when I went to France, I wore the Mito, uh, which is just fantastic travel watch. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and now that I'm home for, for the next bit, I thought I'd throw the, throw this one on. So that's what I've got on a nice little treat to try something both like a good chunk outside of the normal price zone of, of what I, I would call in for review. Right. Um, but also something from JLC. It's just a brand that I love that I, uh, you know, because of the cost of their watches, I don't get to interface with them all that much and then sadly because of how busy it was at watches and wonders earlier this year i wasn't able to make it to uh to that meeting oh sure yeah yeah, yeah. i mean I, you know years ago i had spent time with with the, the polaris this kind of generation when it was first released and and yeah they're they're cool watches um i i do miss i have to say um for a while jlc uh, had the, this kind of streak of kind of the vintage inspired divers um i can't remember all the names of them but you know they had you know the a vintage chronograph. They had kind of some older looking, um, I believe they were like uh, memo boxes and things. And I, I, I kind of missed that in their collection. I feel like they was just some gore, some absolutely gorgeous stuff. The, yeah. the, those reissues of the memo boxes yeah. and of the, the deep sea chrono. That's what it was, which I was kind of like a one. dive take almost on a speedy. I, I absolutely adore yeah, that deep I was sea chrono. sorely tempted to somehow make one of those work back then. They've got some really cool stuff in their past, but the the Memovox reissues, and obviously they've done some incredible stuff with reversos mm-hmm. um, over the years. But that that deep sea chrono has always been a fave <laughs> of, yeah. of, of both of ours. I remember you liking it as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, speaking of vintage inspired, um, we can dive into our yeah. main topic. I guess <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, about Can. Um, you know, we've got we've got the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I maybe. Uh, well, I don't know about ugly in general, but uh, at least the bad. You had uh, an unpleasant travel experience. We had we actually had very different trips, and I felt downright guilty when I was kind of sitting on the beach, uh, awaiting the evening activities on on Saturday, and and you were sending me occasional messages, uh, lamenting your, your <laughs> from the field, <laughs> from the field, from yeah, from Frankfurt or wherever you were, and it was like. Um, I was I was enjoying my uh, my grilled watermelon, looking out at the at the uh, the blue Mediterranean there, and and I, I made sure not to tell you how how much I was enjoying myself. But uh, yeah, what <laughs> <laughs> I mean for 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 the listeners that that didn't get the the full scoop, uh, tell us tell us how your trip went. Yeah, I mean, I look, I I feel largely the same about complaining about travel, especially luxury travel, um, on a podcast as I do about putting it on Instagram, which is why I wouldn't. But I'll fill people in. Uh, simple, simple. You know, this is how things go if you tra- if you travel enough. Your itinerary will occasionally completely fall apart. So, of course, one of the toughest connections in my world as a Star Alliance flyer is Frankfurt. They're always <laughs> forty minutes shorter than they need to be. Um, uh, Frankfurt is mostly a bus terminal. For those of you who don't know it, uh, they do occasionally do a few flights. 
I had, I think, an hour and five minutes or an hour and 10 minutes to make my connection to get to Nice. So it was Toronto to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Nice. And of course, my flight from Toronto left two hours and 20 minutes late. So by the time I landed, my flight to Nice was also landing in Nice. Oh. Um, <laughs> so uh, there wasn't really a good solution. Air Canada finally sorted it out where I then um, jumped a flight to Munich, which is an airport that I do like. And then I had a, a decent wait in Munich. And then uh, from Munich, I flew to Nice. So I ended up getting uh, there. I went directly from the airport to the event, um, which you know started at a pier. And we got on a boat and then took the boat to an island where they were doing this event for for the... And we can get to that, uh, certainly. But um, you see, the, the thing was that technically this trip shouldn't have been this short for me. This is my this was my fault, Not certainly not um, Blanc Pons or, or, or even Air Canada's or Lufthansa's. Uh, originally, the Tudor trip was going to be just the day... It was going to end the same day that this trip started. Mm-hmm. So I said I can I can finish and and come here and then they moved the tutor trip forward by ten days or whatever, um, or two weeks and and so I ended up with this kind of shorter time in France which is okay as long as I made it there for the main event, all good. Um, but yeah, the the travel did not go well. It included a lot of airport running and uh, and you know pouting and that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were writing a story in the back of the car on the way to the the pier and it was just it was yeah like because this is a pretty secretive launch for the brand um they were they were playing keeping things pretty close to the chest as far as what the details were so we had like very limited details no assets so no images so i had written the story um a couple days before finished the story on the flight and then like landed and knew that the embargo was going to be 9 p.m in france so 3 p.m back home and i wanted I, i didn't know what the connection would be like on this um island so I wanted to make sure I had all of that kind of done and scheduled the story and the rest of it. And of course, like it, everything was sort of last minute. It all came together. It was fine. Um, and uh, and I, I, I actually, you know, I beat you and the rest of the press contingent to the pier. So I was just kind of hanging out and waiting. Um, and aside from being, you know, a little maybe dried out from airport and airplane air, I was fine. It was okay. It was a little tired, but that's that's how these things go, right? Um and it was luckily like fantastic weather, really nice to be in, in Cannes. It had been a while. I hadn't been in the city since before the the pandemic. And the other thing, we stayed at the hotel from Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which, you, like, which you kind of discovered or remembered uh, the day we were leaving. And we both just sort of got so excited. And Yeah, yeah. I, we were a couple of nerds trying to talk to a couple of colleagues and be like, you know what hotel this is, right? <laughs> And they're like, I've never seen that movie. And I go like, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like we we walked back after the event. And I'm getting things out of order here, but I'll finish this this part of the story. But we walked back from the event, back to the hotel. <laughs> and when I saw it in the dark, it like it started to trigger something in my visual memory that I couldn't quite place. And I just figured I was tired or maybe that it reminded me of a hotel I had stayed in in Monaco or something like that. And go in you know, go to bed, wake up the next morning. I slept in because I wanted to try and drag out the time zone change. And because I thought you were on a very uh, earlier flight than me. Yeah. And I wake up to a text message, you know, a 30 minute old text message from you saying that you didn't, you weren't able to get on the first flight. So you're going to be, you and I were going to go in the same car to the airport later. I was like, Hey, great. I I got a buddy. Yeah. And, uh, and I walk over to my window and I'm on the fifth floor of the majestic in Cannes. I walk over my window and like open the blinds. And like it's it feels like I'm looking 
at a scene from <laughs> that part in Ronin. Yeah. Uh, de- looking down on the courtyard where they fake the photo and the rest of it. Or not fake the photo. It's a real photo, but where they use the photo to to essentially, you know, surveil yeah. one of their marks. And I was just like, I was like, I'm 95% sure. And I Google it very quickly. And I'm like, I can't wait to see Jason. I can't wait to see Jason. I tell him this is the, this is the hotel from Ronan. <laughs> it was a highlight oh, for sure. Man. <laughs> yeah, that whole area had that vibe. So that's such a thrill. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that was great. It was one of those little, those little sort of secret bonuses that you get on a trip. If you, if you ever go to a place where you know, a movie was filmed or something. And it's, and the, the way that you discovered it, it's not like we, we made some pilgrimage there. Like you sort of, it was sort of triggered a memory. I woke and, up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was good. Um, but the actual, the actual event, um, the Island was called, do you have that? The Ile de la Sainte Marguerite was what it was uh, called. Saint Marguerite. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it was, you know, like maybe a 15 minute little ferry ride over to the Island. Then you walk up a bunch of kind of switchbacks and you get to the top and there's, it was was it either in an embattlement and a prison or yeah i think i think it was a, a fort that then became sort of a military prison or, or some sort of an island prison a la alcatraz mm-hmm. you know the ultimate sort of uh, yeah. place to to keep criminals or super yeah. pretty very fancy sort of like what would befit like a blanc pond sort of thing it was it was in the evening perfect weather there was like great cheese and if you wanted champagne and that kind of thing it took us a little while to to realize you if you ask the right person, you could get a cold beer. <laughs> it's a little bit more our speed than, you know, successive glasses of champagne. Yeah. And you just had a really nice evening. You know, we, we had some friends there. Yeah, it was a treat to see uh, a handful of folks. The people from Blancpain are lovely. Big, big fan of uh, of their team. And they had a display of watches as well, um, like various versions of military-derived 50 Fathoms. It was only like five or six vitrines, and it was just like one knockout after another. Yeah, I definitely took snap some photos, so um, I may do a little gallery or something in the show notes. So if you normally ignore the show notes, but you'd like to see some cool older military adjacent and military direct uh, blanc ponds, I'll, I'll pull a few of those and, and put them together in the in the show notes. It was quite an event, and I think you know we knew that that Blancpain was going to pull out the stops for for this one. I mean, they've been building this up for for months, and of course, this was Act mm-hmm. Three um, for for them this year for the 70th anniversary. They had done uh, an earlier one, Act One, was a, a 40 millimeter kind of more faithful uh, version of of the, the 50 fathoms that we've been used to for the past uh, gosh 20 almost 20 years. Um, and then Act Two, of course, was the the Tech Gombesa that that we talked about that that I got a chance to dive with in Rangaroa, um, kind of the more modern piece that Laurent Belesta had co patented with with Hayek. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think everybody was anticipating Act Three. I mean, this was the culmination of of a year of celebrations for them, and and they definitely pulled out all the stops. And boy, they had it was quite the who's who of guests there. They had uh, there was a free diver Jean Luca. I can't remember his last name, but he he had helped them launch the the fiftieth anniversary back in two thousand three. He was there and. Of course, uh, Laurent Balesta was there, and then lo and behold, we happened to <laughs> happen to bump into Reynald, uh, the CEO of Omega, was there. Um, he had been invited, mm-hmm. and he was kind of uh, off duty, but he was there to support uh, uh, his colleague uh, Mark Hayek and Blancpain, of course, and um, you know, lots of people from from the Mokaran Protection Society and the Ocean Commitment people. And so it was, yeah, it was fun to just sort of mingle and chat and catch up with people and and meet new people and. And then, of course, they launched the watch um, with with sort of a, a bit of an intro, um, kind of with some background, and then we all got a chance mm-hmm. to to stand in line to to spend a few minutes with it. 
Yeah, so we have um, what's called the so it's the Act Three seventieth anniversary. It's a forty one point three millimeter nine carat bronze gold version of essentially the the mil spec style. Yeah. Uh, so it's the same size as the original watch. It has um, a very similar like overall dial layout. So this is one where you have markers instead of the numerals at at uh, twelve, three, six, and nine. It has the uh, ingress moisture ingress uh, indicator on the dial in sort of a white gray. Uh, format, but otherwise it's a very black with a, a brown or gold sort of tone uh, version. They're making 555 of them, and it's 32,000 US dollars. So it's it's very much a tribute, limited edition, celebration, expensive sort of special watch from from their collection. And uh, and yeah, I you know aside from maybe the NATO being a little bit bulky, which like it's a brand new NATO. I, I really liked it. I thought it was a very handsome, kind of good-looking watch. I, I don't understand the price, but that would go for a lot of these sorts of things, especially, you know, it's it's like I said, it's limited edition. And we can get into some of the sort of like feedback that, that we received and, and I think that Blancpain has received from the community that was hoping it would be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't disagree with that hope. I kind of disagree with where they placed it or where it was placed. But we, we could certainly get into that. What did, what did you think? We actually have a ton more to talk about. You went diving and that sort of stuff, but let's we, we could stick on the watch for the moment. Yeah. What did you think of it in person? I was actually pleasantly surprised. I wasn't sure, you know, up until the last minute what was coming. And I think I think they got a lot of the <clears throat> the style cues right. I think um I think uh, you know, I had I had concerns that it would either be too big or they wouldn't kind of lean into the kind of the vintage vibes, but then uh, we started to see being teased out this uh the vintage word mark you know the old blanc pan typeface that they used on the original um and i think i think they nailed it i think even down to the case material you know certainly i would love to see a steel version of this uh, and maybe we will at some point but um you know from what i was reading the, the the some of the original early mil spec watches were different navies i'm not sure which navy specifically had requested that it be made from german silver which is a kind of a copper and nickel alloy to make it less, uh, give it less of a magnetic uh, footprint or presence um, for, you know, de- diffusing mines um, that, that might have some magnetic sensitivity. And apparently German silver patinas to the, the color that is close to this bronze gold. So I think that was apparently what the inspiration for that color was. So I, you know, that, okay. that made sense to me. And then, and then the moisture indicator on the dial, I mean, come on, a, a, a modern Blanc Pond with that on the, on the dial is just uh, cool to see. So yeah, we've only had a few of those, you know, the the tribute the original tribute to Millspec and then the the Hodinkee Ali. Yeah. Um, you know, I th- I think when the brand does limited edition stuff, they do a really nice job of making something that feels distinct. Mhm. I, I I thought the sizing made sense. It's, it's the 1154, so it's a, a no date execution of a 100 hour automatic movement from them. From my understanding, certainly a solid enough movement with nice specs and that sort of thing as you'd expect from a from a bonk pond, uh, you know, I, I think I would like to hear about the rest of your trip, but we might as well just dive into. Uh, I'm sure you got similar comments on your Instagram, and and we certainly got a, a, a wide range of feedback on the the story on Hodinkee we published in introducing post, uh, which I can include in the show notes, of course. But like people seem to be like in many ways okay with the watch existing, mm-hmm. but were upset that it wasn't the one they wanted. Yeah, I mean, like no, no, I didn't get any feedback. People saying like, oh, it's ugly, and I hate yeah. it. It's not the one that they wanted. They wanted a, a, a standard issue, non-limited edition steel 50 fathoms that just sits in the catalog at 40 or 41 or something like that. Yeah. And of course, this was something else entirely. 
I'm curious how you how you feel about about that sort of feedback. Like people were really upset about the price, which like I understand it's a very expensive watch. And if you compare it to like if you're not a Blancpain collector, if you're just a, a, a well knowledgeable like if you're just a knowledgeable watch enthusiast, you're going to immediately think of all the other things that you could have for that money or like how it sits in. But then I think, you know, being a limited edition, being at one of these 70, 70th anniversary LEs, this felt almost predictable. The expensive, like, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit surprised that it wasn't 18 karat gold or, or something like that. The bronze is feels a little bit more 50 fathoms. It's a, it's a neat move. Yeah. Um, but you're certainly paying as though it's a solid, like that's roughly the same price as a solid gold GMT master, which would have a gold bracelet, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, within the swatch group, they have, they have their formula for anniversary editions. And I think, you know, when you look at, uh, certainly stuff that Omega has done o- over the years with, with kind of anniversary pieces, I mean, th- these aren't going to be cheap watches and I think they're definitely aimed at, at a collector community. And and for 555 pieces, I I'd be surprised if, if any, if, you know, if not many are, are left at this point, uh, certainly mm-hmm. there were, it was a big contingent of collectors at this event, and I bet a lot of them went, yeah. went straight to their their uh, local reps and and put plunk down a deposit to to get one of these. And I think, you know, to to kind of complain about pricing on a watch like this, uh, certainly it's well out of my my reach and your reach. But you know, Blancpain is not the brand that that they used to be. And I think one lament that I've had is you know back in the day when when these watches you know back in the fifties sixties, these were you know, kind of the, the working divers watch. I mean, this was a watch you could get, you know, whether at the, the PX or was issued to you, or you could buy in a dive mm-hmm. shop for very little money, you know, along the lines of you know, maybe a Zodiac Seawolf or somewhere between that and a Submariner. Um, and I, you know, yeah, I'd love to see Blancpain back to those roots, but that's not the brand anymore. They, they realize they're an haute or lingerie, uh, luxury brand. And, and this is, you know, squarely in their, in their territory, this watch. And I think there's enough specialness about this watch in terms of the limited, edition uh nature of it as well as the materials yeah. used and and it's it's a pretty stellar movement in here and and you know when you look at this as a bump up from you know what the the, the regular 50 fathoms is going for which is you know somewhere between you know 15 and twenty thousand dollars i mean it isn't that much of a premium for something that is only available to a very few people and, and will never exist again in this form so um that that's my take on it i, I will say that the watch itself Fantastic. I mean, it's, I think they, they got a certain number of like little nods to the original that I think, you know, might be lost on some people, or maybe people don't notice, you know, the, the high dome crystal, of course, is an obvious nod, but, but the rotor, um, on the movement that you can see through the clear case back, it's that slotted old school rotor with the old Blancpain writing. Um, as I mentioned, the material that kind of mimics what, what a German silver case would patina to, um, you know, just, just little stuff like that, I think it makes this a, a pretty special piece and who knows, I mean, it, if, if they do spin out a kind of a steel version, uh, I'm not sure where that would come in price wise. It would probably still be expensive, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Complaining about price is always a bit of a peculiar move for people. I always kind of shake my head and think, well, look, I mean, it, the, the mark, if the market bears, you know, if, if, if the price, uh, holds up and enough people buy it then then they were right on <laughs> you know yeah the, the price thing is tough it's it, i don't neither of us are saying it's not an expensive watch it's an exceedingly expensive more more than i've ever spent on all of my watches combined and probably maybe ever will yeah but i don't think it's out of line for what the brand does that that's kind of their their move their prerogative their sort of mo these days mm-hmm. the thing that i would push back a little bit against because i feel the same way but i i place my feeling in a different direction mm-hmm. are the comments from people saying i really wish this was a 
40 millimeter steel 50 fathoms mm-hmm. like one that wouldn't really make sense for a big anniversary you want something special you want to do a limited edition i think that's the natural move yeah so if they had done the watch that everyone wanted and only made 555 of them that's would be a genuine bummer yeah <laughs> like True. if this had been a 40 millimeter steel modern 50 fathoms right with a, a no date option and you know a seventeen or eighteen thousand dollar price tag, still a fortune. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. but closer to what everybody seems to be begging for in the comments. Yeah, and they only made five hundred fifty five of them. Yeah, that'd be even that'd be way worse than them making a bronze gold one that a, a handful of collectors are going to go for. So I I one hundred percent align with everybody who wishes that that Blancpain was making a conventionally sized or or medium sized diver, something let's call it thirty eight to forty one that feels and looks like a 50 fathoms that is part of their standard model range. Yeah. Like something that would sit just, just alongside the, the titanium one that you have. Mm-hmm. I totally 100% agree. A lot of people have been saying that for years, including us. It'd be really cool if they just made a direct Submariner competitor. Yeah. Yeah. I just, if they had announced it this past weekend, I think it would have been a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. as a limited edition that no one could get. I think it was a bummer when they only made 210 of Act 1. So in each of the three areas, each only got 70. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what they come out with next. And hopefully, hopefully they absorb a little bit of this feedback and see that like kind of what people want is a conventional modern diver from Blanc Pond that's just not super big. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd absolutely agree with everyone who got upset about it. I just don't think this was the scenario where mm-hmm. the solution could have been presented in a way that actually fit the complaint. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you noted in your article um that that the the 41.3 uh millimeter diameter is no coincidence. I mean, that is actually um the exact dimension of of the original, which I think is another neat sort of hidden nod to you mm-hmm. know to to what the original was. And and my I guess my only thing and and I'm not sure bronze gold is ne- necessarily my speed. I, I don't know that I would wouldn't be for me. Wouldn't wear this watch, um, or I, I certainly enjoy it and, and whatever. But it, it won't patina uh, like a full bronze watch, apparently. Um, so yeah, I'd hold out for a steel version if they come out with one. But uh, the other thing is that the strap. I mean, fine to go with a NATO. I think is is appropriate for for kind of what it's paying tribute to. Um, but I'm curious, what would what strap would would look great on this? I and mean, I think it'd be hard to match hardware for one thing. But what would you swap out? Um, I mean, a leather NATO, I think would mm. be incredible. Yeah. yeah. Like one of those, one of the Horween, um, leather NATOs yeah. or the, or the kangaroo mm-hmm. leather ones. Mm-hmm. They carry just a little bit of a shine, which I think kind of, this is a very, the watch is very, um, satin finished. It's almost yeah. entirely brushed, which yeah. I think is really nice. It has this sort of matte warmth and, and that really fine sort of edged case finishing, like similar to what you find on a, like a really crispy new Tudor. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I'd probably go that route. I I could see you you know on a bund with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, true. Other, otherwise, I think like a a tropic would probably look incredible. Yeah. A black tropic. Yeah. A preferably a vintage one. Yeah, I think like matching hardware on a NATO could be tough. So maybe go with um go with a NATO with a soft keeper. So mm-hmm. you only have to worry about the buckle, and then just do the buckle in to match the strap. Right. Right. Um. That would you know, and, and that way you could go NATO. What what would what, what would you wear something like that on? Yeah, I think a bund would look would look really cool. I, th- I hadn't thought about that, yeah. but that'd be that'd be a good one. Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably go that direction. So uh, you know, a, a, obviously a very cool watch uh, seems to have have created a little bit of its own little um, ecosystem of controversy uh, for <laughs> maybe not being what the 
the uh, watch commenting populace is, was kind of keen on. And, and I understand parts of that for sure. Um, I, I definitely hope that we see further evolution. I mean, most brands have gone this direction of off, of going back to offering 39, 40, 41 millimeter divers. And clearly, Bonpon knows there's a market for it. Um, maybe they just haven't gotten to the point where it's it's their market, right? Or, or a market that they want to attack head on. But I, I am kind of hoping that with maybe there's some obvious lessons to be learned from brands that have essentially offered their take on the down the middle conventional diver, the Pelagos 39 leaps to mind, the SPB 143 leaps to mind, like just successes from the last few years that were nicely sized, nicely made, fit their price point. Um, and, and I think there is a world in which Blanc Pond could, you know, take a decent little sip out of Rolex's milkshake on, on a conventional everyday dive watch. I think that world exists. They just, they have to play into it. And I think the comments kind of suggest that the market's just kind of waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or at true. least the enthusiast side is waiting. Whether or not those convert to sales, I've never necessarily been convinced. I'm sure that some of the people commenting and, and sending DMs and that kind of thing are buyers that are just like, what, what do I have to do to buy what I want? Right. Um, whereas the rest, it, it just might just be kind of a chorus effect, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a fittingly celebratory watch. Um, you know, certainly... Uh, I think it suited a, a limited edition for an anniversary. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and you're right. The 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 event was certainly over the top i mean as you might expect and and but the highlight was was seeing all those old those old blanc pond watches in in cases oh my goodness <laughs> i mean truly amazing stuff like the old german military you know kind of the one with the the very sterile looking bezel um we had you know lip cold uh, co-branded ones we had you know mil spec ones etc and it was uh, that was a real treat to see those yeah, like I said, I'll I'll do what I can. I mean, I, they were in vitrines, and I just had my camera against the glass, so I'm not I'm not promising anything amazing. But I thought, as I was looking at these watches and talking with you about them, I thought, well, the crew's gonna dig these, so yeah. I'll, I'll try and put together a little gallery in in the show notes with those photos. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so aside from the watch, I steamrolled uh, my my you know twenty some odd hour trip to um, <laughs> to France uh, <laughs> at, at the cost of yours because you were there. And had had some other programming and even some a little bit of adventure as well. You want to fill folks in on that? Yeah. I, so uh, I I flew out um, last Wednesday. So in, in comparison to your trip, even though it was a short um, visit to France for me, probably not even enough to incur any jet lag penalty. Um, it it felt like a, a fairly pleasant time there. I I got in Thursday morning. You know, kind of did the overnight flight, um, and then kind of got got a chance to settle in and. Um, the reason I went early was because uh, Blancpain had asked me to moderate a panel um, regarding their ocean commitment program, and they had brought in some esteemed guests, uh, myself not included in that, um, including uh, Charles Goddard, who's from The Economist. They had uh, Andy Sharpless, who's the CEO of Oceana, which is like the, the world's largest uh, ocean conservation group. Drew Richardson, who is the CEO of Paddy. Um, who, uh, you know, just a little spoiler, you know, we, we, we planted the seed about maybe coming on TGN given our huge contingent of, of, you know, people that have taken up diving, uh, among our totally. TGN listeners, which would be cool. Uh, Laurent Belesta and then Mark Hayek. So it was, a, it, we were all on this podium in, in a conference room on Friday evening and, uh, it was, it was kind of standing room only. It was a real packed house of, of attendees. You know, we had the collectors and the journalists and people that were there and, uh, I, I moderated this panel. Uh, really enjoyed kind of meeting these folks the the night before we had a dinner and I had a good, good chat with Charles and with Drew um, and good to catch up with Laurent as well. And, you know, I, I think one thing, you know, watches aside, especially, you know, this, 
anniversary piece aside, I, I'm constantly impressed by Blanc Pond's commitment to ocean conservation. And, you know, it seems like every brand that has a dive watch kind of has some sort of ocean conservation angle. Um, you know, I, I had that in Ecuador with the Manta Trust and Carl F. Bucherer. We've seen it with Oris um, and some others. But, but Blanc Pond just puts a lot of effort and, and financing into a lot of different programs. I mean, they're behind Oceana. Yeah. They partner with Patty. You know, obviously their support of the Gombesa expeditions and on and on. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, it was nice to kind of before all the hubbub over a new watch. I mean, the, the panel discussion really had nothing to do with watches. It was all about ocean conservation. And we had some good questions from the audience, et cetera. And so uh, that was that was a real thrill for me to, to play a small role in that. Um, and then earlier in the day, uh, we, we did some diving. So uh, Friday morning, I got up and, and, you know, caught a, a shuttle to over to Antibes, kind of the next town over on the coast and, uh, went to a, a, a dive shop there that, that Blanc Pond had sort of over <laughs> taken over for, for a couple of days. And they had a small display of some vintage dive gear and a, and a bit of a, you know, some, uh, some photos and, and explanations of their history and dive watches. And, and they gave a short speech and then, we kind of piled on a dive boat. Um, Mark Hayek was diving. Laurent was diving. Uh, Drew from from Patty was diving. Uh, and <laughs> the, I think the coolest part of it was, well, for one thing, the Gombesa team uh, was there as well. A few of them were, were going underwater to take photos and video of the event. Um, but I got a chance to wear a vintage watch. I got a chance to strap on Oof. like a late 50s uh, double-branded Lip Blancpain 50 Fathoms. It was it was a pretty wild experience. I when I was in the Socorros with Blanc Pond a few years ago, I got a chance to wear an old Tornick Rayville, which was another special experience. And Blanc, Blanc Pond takes its chances uh, with with its vintage pieces. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing that they bring these things up to snuff and and quite um, freely strap them on people's wrists. There were several of us on the boat that were wearing these old 60, 70 year old watches um, diving, and we got down to you know, 25 meters and, you know, around 80, 80 some feet uh, of depth. And, and, the, you know, the, obviously the watch did just fine, but it was pretty cool to glance down at my wrist and, and check that thing out while I was underwater. And, you know, certainly it worked well. And the old ones, I think what was neat, uh, the neat feature was before unidirectional ratcheting bezels kind of became a commonplace, uh, Blanc Pond had pioneered on the earliest 50 fathoms, this push to turn locking bezel. And I, I, I love that feature. I think it's kind of a neat thing. And I was going to ask you if you, if you knew if the new one had that, cause I didn't, I don't think I played with the bezel when I tried on the one at the, at the event. Did you have a chance? The new one was a, a rotating. I, I mean, I didn't count, but it was, um, it was 120 click to my, okay. So it wasn't pushed to my to test. Turn. Cause it, you okay. know, I put the pip at eight. You gotta, yeah. you gotta do the right thing here. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah I, it was, uh, it was not a captive, uh, bezel to my experience. Okay. Just but, turned, uh, unidirectional. So yeah, the, the dive was great. It was uh, water temp was was pretty reasonable. I had brought my own gear. Um, I debated whether or not to, but I kind of just kind of put it in a big suitcase with the rest of my stuff, and, and I'm glad I did. And it was we kind of broke up into small groups. I was with uh, a couple other divers, and we went down and, and did about a 46 minute dive, kind of around some big underwater rock structures, uh, kind of very near a lighthouse that was off the coast of Antibes, and you know having the the kind of recent comparison to our, our time diving in Florida, which had, you know, a lot of fish life and very green water. This wasn't quite as densely, 
uh, populated by by marine life, but the water clarity was quite good. It was very blue, uh, a lot of seagrass and these big kind of sea mounts. And and then lo and behold, we kind of came around the corner and there was this like underwater ruins, like the structure there. And when I got back on the boat, I said, "What? What was that? Like an old foundation of something?" And I said, "Oh, they were." They had built an underwater movie set to film a 1950s version of The Little Mermaid there. And <laughs> um, apparently that version never got used, but but the remains of this movie set are underwater. And it was kind of kind of neat to see that swim around. Uh, I brought the the oceanic housing again because I didn't want to bring a big camera rig this time. And, and I just used my iPhone for photos. And I'm, again, quite pleased with with how those turned out. It was the right choice for the trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really a good time. And I think... You know, it was it was neat that they that they did this. They offered a, a couple of dive outings. They did one um, Friday morning and then Saturday morning um, with a larger group of people that that had come in for the the event. And it, you know, it, for those that don't know, I mean, Cannes was is a very fitting venue for this because it's where uh, Jean Jacques Fichter, the the former CEO of Blancpain, who kind of brought about the first Fifty Fathoms back in the fifties, had had learned to dive and did his diving. Um, and it's also not far from where Cousteau was, was developing the Aqualung back in the forties. So just neat to be in those same waters and, and wearing a vintage watch. So an experience I, I certainly won't, uh, won't forget anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it, it, maybe it doesn't underline, but it does connect in some ways to the whole, you know, kind of direct passion for this brand and from its CEO for diving in the ocean and ocean preservation. Yeah. Like it's, there's a lot of brands that will talk about this or recycling or, or whatever. And then there's a few brands that, and you listed them earlier, certainly, or, or some of them, but there's a few brands that go really seriously into like, this is, this is part of what we, like how we operate. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you start digging into the ocean commitment stuff, it's not like one or two things. It's this like array, this spider web of projects Mm -hmm. and people that they support. Uh, Oceana, of course, being one of them. Uh, uh, Last November, I did a chat with Renee Capizzolo and um, and Jonathan Frank. So Renee is a uh, photographer and the 2021 Blancpain Female 50 Fathoms Ocean Photography Award recipient. I had to look up that wording to get it right. And then also with Jonathan Frank, who's a director of global corporate uh, partnerships at Oceana. Uh, and it's just like it, it permeates kind of the entire brand and certainly the side of the brand that you and I loved, like the 50 Fathom stuff. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting thing to be able to get out on a dive with one of the, you know, very early watches and and kind of see how some of that stuff connects together, um, you know, as as a modern as a modern tool for diving, this is just mostly romance, but mm-hmm. it's still, uh, it's still, you know, does kind of speak to me and, and, and the way that I like to think of brands interfacing with, um, with the ocean and, and those trying to make a difference. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, Mark Hayek is someone who, uh, I just get the sense, you know, having met him a couple of times that, that he would be rather, he would rather be nowhere else than, than on a dive boat or underwater. I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy just really kind of, you can sense that he's in his comfort zone, on a dive boat and, and talking about diving, I think, you know, he, he's, he's definitely chosen the right, the right brand to, to oversee, uh, given the kind of the, the 50 fathoms connection. So yeah, it was all fun. And absolutely. Yeah. And can itself was lovely. We had some good weather. Uh, you and I got to spend uh, an hour or so on the beach uh, before heading back to the airport and, uh, Just super nice. Yeah. Lovely place. I can't beat the weather. Wow. It was uh, it was an interesting trip, but it was just, it was absolutely a treat to see you and to see the watch and, and to be in that part of the world, even if briefly, um, and hey, we got a nice little episode out of it, so that's always fun, eh? Yeah. Uh, look, you want to uh, put a bow on it with some uh, final notes? Definitely. 
Uh, I've got one very apropos for this episode. This is the U.S. Navy's Experimental Dive Unit Dive Watch Test Report from 1958. And it's probably something that a lot of our listeners have have heard about. Um, it's, it's kind of embedded in the lore of, of dive watch history. And, and there's a lot of kind of misconceptions about kind of the developments of, of the 50 Fathoms and about the early uh, Bulova piece, that the Millships piece that, that they re-released recently, um, and Rolex's role with the military, et cetera. Um, this is kind of the definitive document. It came out in 1958. It was a test report that, that the U.S. Navy um, had commissioned to look at a watch for its divers to use. Now, in the late 50s, uh, there was this very strong... Uh, desire to to buy um, from American brands to to outfit the military, and Bulova was actually developing a piece for the U.S. Navy, a dive watch. And um, while that was in development, the Navy decided, well, we need something to kind of get us through uh, until that's ready. And so we're we're going to take three commercially available dive watches from Rolex and a car, uh, the Sea Pearl Six Hundred, actually, and uh, and a Blanc Pond Fifty Fathoms, and and they put them through some pretty pretty trying tests. And, and this test report is a fascinating piece of history. And, and I had had a hard copy version of this kind of floating around. I've lost it since it's somewhere in my office here. Um, but, uh, if you're familiar with Nicoloy from Instagram, uh, Nick, uh, sent me a link to an actual PDF download of this from, from an internet archive site. And, uh, it's, it's fascinating reading for, for those of us that are nerds about dive watches. You, you really get a an inside look at, at how the Navy was testing these watches, you know, the methods they used, the depths they, they went to, um, you know, they had kind of some scary, strange criteria in here. At one point, there's a, a passage in here about how the, the Blanc Pond's crown was easier to pull out and manipulate underwater for winding and setting the watch. And I was thinking, <laughs> I mean, no one in their right mind is doing that these days, but uh, they, they seem today, to value no. that. Um, and, and it's kind of the, ultimately what led to the selection of the 50 fathoms for the U S Navy. And I guess the rest is history. But, uh, if you're, if you're kind of a, a, a nerdy enough to, to kind of enjoy something like that, uh, we'll throw a link in the show notes and you can, you can download that PDF and, and read it in its entirety. So check it out. What, uh, what do you have uh, this week? Yeah, this week I, I actually didn't have a ton, but I did uh, get a chance to watch the first episode of a new Amazon original series called The Continental. It's sort of like a precursor to the world of John Wick. So it's in series one. I believe there's three episodes in the first season. First episode is out now. Uh, the the sort of description is the Continental is an event series revealing the violent origins of the iconic Hotel for Assassins in the John Wick universe set in the 1970s New York City. Winston Scott recruits a team to take on a vast conspiracy triggered by his brother's attack on the Continental. The bloody action drama explores the collision of family love, fate, and revenge. And it's early 70s uh, in New York, well, in all over the world at this point in the first episode. The first episode was like an hour and 40 minutes long, so it's like a small movie, or movie really. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. You know, it's violent. It's very much in the same page as uh, as john wick and i guess it's just kind of uh, an origin story of sorts but in this case more about winston uh who's the proprietor of the continental in new york if you've seen any of the john wick movies um played by ian mcshane so it's more more about winston's story and probably the uh, as the title would suggest the the sort of development and establishing of the continental in new york hmm. i enjoyed it i'll watch the the next episode when it comes out 
Yeah, I, I, I caught wind of this. Uh, I saw it when it was being promoted, and and I, I think I mentioned to you that I I had a very uh, sort of James Stacy a uh, few hours uh, a few weeks back when I was returning from Ecuador. I had some long layovers, and I decided I would finally dive in and watch uh, a John Wick movie. And I watched uh, I actually watched them back to back, parts one and part two. Two is so good, and I enjoyed them more than I thought I would. I, I you know I was always kind of putting off watching these. You kind of have to be in the mood for kind of these hyper-violent sort of, you know, films of the sorts, kind of a stoic main character. But you know what? I enjoyed it. I thought, I thought, uh, I thought they were good. I thought it would hold off on three and four. I just, you know, back to back to back is a bit much. So I'll, I'll get to those yeah. eventually, but now I have some context for, for the continental and, uh, I'll have to check that out on Amazon. Yeah. I'm obviously a huge John Wick fan. Um, on my side, I'm, I'm glad that you gave him a chance Two is my favorite. Um, I think it's one of the best sequels out there. Uh, and, and just, a. uh, just a really, really entertaining, complicated, weird, kind of messy at times, but really fun <laughs> sort of movie. Yeah, and I love Keanu Reeves, and you know, I, I really like most of the characters, and um, I, I and I like a, a like hyper violent sort of action film. So uh, you know, it's a little bit stylized, it's a little bit fun that way. And I think the first one, the first one kind of sets the stage nicely, and the second one really just jumps on the gas. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's something else, and the third and fourth, they're okay. Yeah, I, I enjoy them. I watch them, uh, that sort of thing. But the second one, when if I catch a, a little bit of the first act of the second one, I'm kind of in. I'm stuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm busy for the next little while. But I, I enjoyed this one for sure. And and you know, speaking of 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 uh, you know movies and planes and stuff on the way back, this is I guess an, an addendum. And I'm sure this movie will eventually make it into a film club. But on the way back, I had you know an eight hour flight and not a ton of work to do. So as soon as I was clear, I put on. First, uh, Crimson Tide, if you remember that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From the early 90s. Uh, Denzel Washington and, and Gene Hackman. It's a, a submarine drama, which is a great, a fantastic genre of movie. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of this one. And I hadn't watched it in probably over a decade. And it's just, it's so good. And I finished that and I had not had enough Denzel. So we went for a training day to finish the flight. <laughs> and it, it ended just before we landed. So that was that was my double header on my flight back from uh, from Frankfurt. Very nice. Yeah, cool. But yeah, the Continental and uh, and this really cool dive watch test report. You can find both in the show notes, of course. If you have any questions, you can drop us a line at thegraynado at gmail dot com or jump in the Slack. Anybody who supports the show, either five bucks a month or the annual hundred dollars a year, uh, gets access to the Slack. So uh, hit us up in there. We're having a lot of great conversations, and certainly, I'm sure uh, things like the Continental and this uh, dive watch test report will come up uh, soon enough. So. I think we got ourselves a show, Jason. Yeah, a couple back-to-back weeks of uh, of diving uh, or dive watches, uh, vintage-inspired dive watches, or or Navy connections. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite a season. And yes, and hopefully the end of James complaining about travel. I promise I, <laughs> I don't take it for granted. It just it didn't work out this time. Look, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode or consider supporting the show directly, maybe you can grab yourself a new TGN sign NATO, please visit thegraynado.com. Music Throat is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this fitting quote from Al Gore, who said, Airplane travel is nature's way of making you look like your passport photo. (laughs) Uh, Ain't it true? Ain't it true? All right, catch you in a week.